Well, thanks Pastor Rob for giving me this passage. Today we're going to look at warts on our worship. Who's excited? It's pretty good, huh? Well, in this passage, I don't know if you picked them, but there's actually six metaphors that show what false teachers do to our faith. And actually, it, he's going to reflect in a way that actually gives, should give us two perspectives on the way that we look at it. The first one is a warning to all Bible teachers. So it was good for me to do this one. Make sure you are not going even down the slightest hint of a path of false teachers. So that's first. We need to be having a warning to Bible teachers. But secondly, there's a warning to all believers. Make sure you protect the principle of being kept in the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And there's a reflection of that in the very end of the book, in verse 22, where he talks about he's going to show compassion on those who take his warning, and he'll even pluck some out of the fire and rescue just at the last minute. So there's this message of warning to Bible teachers, but also to all those in the faith, make sure you are not one who is enticed into false paths and false teaching. So just a bit of a recap, um, if you've got your um, Bibles there in some form, remember verse 3 is key. It is the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. And um, we've talked about this before, but as a bit of a refresher, it's the body of teaching that Jesus passed on to the apostles who then passed it into what became Scripture, the canon of Scripture, the standard, all that Jesus wanted us to say. So if you look at Acts 1-3, for example, even after his resurrection, he taught his disciples for 40 days, particularly, it says, on the kingdom of God. But that is where he finalized his teaching to the apostles. And it's this intriguing thing that even though it says it's once and for all delivered, well, Jude hasn't finished, well, he's finished his, but most believe Revelation comes uh, at least 15 years after in AD 95. So it's once and for all delivered because it was from Jesus to the apostles and they were writing it down as God told them to, to be preserved. But even in Jude's time, it hadn't actually been uh, finished yet, which is kind of intriguing. But nevertheless, they knew what God had entrusted to them through his beloved son and therefore they were going to keep it safe. Now, in verse 4, I believe when it uses the term grace of our God, he's actually saying the same thing in different terms. The faith once and for all delivered is the grace of our God. So think of Ephesians 2 where it says, by grace you have been saved through faith, that is our salvation. From one perspective, it is us placing our faith in what Jesus did for us, what God has revealed is his salvation. Another way of saying the same thing is the grace of God bestowed to us that we put our faith in. So I think in verse 4, he's actually saying the same thing, reminding us that our faith is this beautiful grace of God. Now, in the middle, we get all this warning of false teachers. So you've got the context of a beautiful faith. Ugliness of false teachers in the middle, and then it reminds us of the end back of our beautiful faith. So verse 17, it says, remember the words spoken by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. See that? The same, the faith delivered from our Lord Jesus Christ to the apostles, preserved once and for all for us. And then verse 20, he says, you should be building yourselves up in your most holy faith. It's been passed from Jesus to the apostles. Now you have taken hold of it by faith. And he says, treasure it as a most holy faith. So that is the background in all those things. And it's really saying the same thing. Keep the faith. Preserve it as precious. 
treasure it and don't get distracted from it. So I wonder how many feel a bit upset by this next picture um, coming soon. I wonder how genuinely feel upset by that. I'm looking at the cleaners among you or those who have um, youth who don't maybe observe so well. Some of you find that quite, quite cringeworthy, I'm sure. Uh, muddy footprints is the false teachers. God has given us a pure and beautiful faith that we can hold on to, be cleansed, perfectly forgiven from all our sins, a great future with God in heaven, in perfection, and then they come along and... And they just don't care. It's not that they didn't notice, because anyone says, I didn't notice. Like, come on, how did you not notice this beautiful, pure wool carpet? They just don't care. They have their own agendas. Therefore, we need to be careful, because if they don't care they're not going to be careful about your faith. And if it destroys your faith, they don't care. And so there really is this encouching of Jude in the most holy faith and in the middle, those who just don't care, the false teachers. So the key of what these metaphors, these six metaphors we're going to look at today is the verse 4 that says, they've turned the grace of God into lewdness, into wickedness. They've flipped it on its head. Instead of making something beautiful, they've made it something human and the worst of humanity, the sinfulness of humanity. And so, therefore, the warning that um, Jude gives in what he's teaching. We need to make sure they do not turn our faith into something wicked and ugly by going in a wrong path. So the big pictures will show us both the beauty of our faith the faith once and for all delivered to us, and the ugliness of turning into wickedness. The backdrop of this picture, these horrible metaphors that were so beautifully read to us, um, is the true worship of God, the true faith of God. Um, the foreground is the ugly warts on that worship, the warts that are exposed, um, trying to place itself on the most holy faith. So Jude will use vivid pictures, and nicely here, he moves away from all the Jewish reference that he's gone through to more natural metaphors that anyone would understand, whether you understood Jewish literature or not. So this is kind of refreshing in that way. But one other thing I want us to consider in here is he not only uses pictures, but he also uses numbers, okay? Numbers are kind of important in here, I believe. So Jude is a Jewish preacher. And you'll see in here, not only quote the Bible, but he quotes famous historic texts of the day. So he quotes First Enoch and Testimony of Moses, which records, apparently, historically, the last words of Moses or the um, account just before he died. So he quotes them in there. Now, another thing that's very important to the Jewish culture is numbers. And I don't know if you've noticed when we've been going through Jude, but the number three just keeps coming up. If you didn't get it, it's from Jude, the bondservant, and the brother, okay? And if you missed it there, then he says that you are called, loved, and kept. And then he says in verse 2, um, mercy, peace, and love multiplied. Did you see what he's saying? Three, which is a symbol of completeness, completing things. So how long was um, death considered complete? After three days. And when did Jesus rise from the dead? When death was complete, therefore he showed he conquered death. You've got three patriarchs. You've got holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Complete holiness, etc., etc., etc. So you'll see that flow through in the book of Jude. So later when he talks about the wickedness, he shows how their rebellion is complete. So you've got, um, he using examples of rebellion. Israel, angels, Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Um, in verse 8, he describes them as defiling the flesh, undermining authority, and slandering celestial beings. And last week, we looked at um, the three examples of Cain, Balaam, and Korah. He, he just keeps repeating this. And even at the end, when he talks about keeping yourself in your holy faith, he says doing it in three participles, which is building, praying, and anticipating. So threes keep coming through. Completeness of faith, completeness of the judgment of God on rebellion. So on this, oh, by the way, do you want to guess how many times he says dear friends in the book of Jude? Anyone want to guess? I don't know, you have to count it for yourself. It might be three. Uh, Verses 3, 17 and 20. So contrast that, the number three and completeness and wholeness of what God has done and how he will do in judgment. How many metaphors have we got in verses 12 and 13? Anyone see how many are there? It's six. It's six. So think, six. What does six refer to in the Bible, and particularly uh, uh, Jewish thought as they understand it? It's humanity. But the worst of humanity, humanity, the fallenness of humanity. That's why we've got the big controversy, what does 666 mean? We don't know exactly what it means, but we know the symbol of the number. It's three times six, the completeness of the depravity of humanity. So Jude, the Jewish preacher who knows all the Jewish texts and he refers to them and cites them, makes the point, I'm going to show you the worst of humanity that comes out in false teaching. That's what we're going to see here next. False teachers do the work of human corruption. It lacks the spirit of God. It's humanity without God. That's what we're dealing with here, kept in God or drawn away from God. Could I just have my water, please, because I'm feeling a bit unwatered. Thank you. Let me pray, and um, then we'll look into the actual text. Uh, Lord, a heavy passage we're looking at today, but thank you for the vividness in which you paint pictures in our mind even, so that we can hold on to them and flee to you when we are tempted and drawn to what is wrong, ungodly, unholy. Stir in us and teach us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What's on your love feasts? What a vivid metaphor. This is an intriguing um, uh, thing to look back in in history, and it's a beautiful picture that the early church had these love feasts. And these love feasts were unique meals together where they pursued loving one another in the love of God, deliberately selfless in caring for one another and serving each other's needs. It was a beautiful expression that they were living in the love of God. And often they would actually end them um, with a communion service to acknowledge that actually their love wasn't their love. They were actually in the love of God and walking in that love. So imagine a false teacher at one of those love feasts. He's not interested in the love of God. He wants people to notice him and love him and serve him. And so this is the picture he paints with a wart on your love feast. You've got this where everyone is pursuing, I want to be in God's love. I want to take care of your needs, not my own. I want to be selfless as God was selfless and gracious to me. And then there's this false teacher who says, can you get me some food? Thank you. Anyone else? I'm a teacher here. Thank you very much. Serve me. And so they appear to be there and gracious, and yet they're actually pursuing serving themselves. And Jude says it's like a wart on a love feast. It's something, what is that doing there? Can someone remove that, please, so that we can see 
love as it is meant to be. They are there to be appreciated and valued for who they are and what they can say and uh, make sure they are provided for. False teachers are substitutes for God's love and they substitute it with their own selfishness and a focus on them. So let's get back to the picture of Jude, the, the positive, the most holy faith, and let's think about God's pure love for a moment. The most holy faith that we want to protect from the horrible marks on the carpet. So um, I love this phrase. It's a bit different to the song we know. Um, but Jesus knows me, this I love. For it fits me like a glove. Little ones to him belong, I am weak, but he is strong. It's a bit different to the song you may know, but it's a great truth, is it not? That is the pure love of God. He knows me and I love it. Do you remember the first time you first tasted of God's love? Do you? Can you go back there in your mind? How pure it was, um, full of his mercy and unlimited kindness. I've got to say, if you're someone sitting here and who does not know that, uh, you really are missing out on something essential. And I hope you taste of it even today, this morning. Uh, a quote from um, John Piper, which I think is a great anchoring point of love for us. The love of God is not God's making much of us, but God's saving us from self-centeredness so that we can enjoy making much of him forever. And our love to others is not our making much of them, but helping them to find satisfaction in making much of God. True love aims at satisfying people in the glory of God. Now we're getting a picture of something that's pure and sacred and special. You don't want that tainted by some teacher or coming in and tainting that with another direction. Later on, it's not up on the screen, but um, John Piper talks about um, how God rescues us from the house of mirrors and leads us to the mountain and canyons of his majesty. It's a beautiful picture. We start with a selfish love. Notice me. I hope someone notices me. And, and it's a house of mirrors. And God beautifully takes us out of that um, to the majesty of his canyons. And um, um, we get to be satisfied in his greatness and are lost in it. We lose our own selfish love in the majesty of God's love. Um, this is the love, as you see in the next quote from Martin Luther King, that he wanted for humanity. It's almost like he wanted a love feast for all those where hate would, hatred was removed. We have before us, says the great Martin Luther King, the glorious opportunity to inject a new dimension of love into the veins of our civilization. And of course, he is someone who knew God's love that overtook him far beyond his own love. That was the desire of the church as well to inject God's new dimension of love into the veins of people so that they loved one another as God has loved them. When you know the pure, the impure is garish and obvious and hideous. Look carefully at the false teachers and you'll see the switch that they try to play on us. Um, so next um, picture. Yes, just getting back to that metaphor of the stain on the love feet. Get the distinction clear in your mind. They are blemishes on God's pure love, the love feast. It's like a blemish on a carpet. How are you going to get that out? Good luck to you. I'm sure there's an ad who could prove me wrong. But it's worse. They're replacing the love of God with a selfish, tainted substitute of humanity. Um, it's really like a beautiful feast, like you see in the next slide, and um, now you're thinking of dinner. 
Um, but then you find out someone's coughed all over it. Yeah, you don't want it now, do you? That's the picture of the wart on the love feast. It looks so good, but wait a minute. What lurgies are going on in there? I, I'm out. I want no part of this. That's the point. It's not what it appears looking beneath the surface of what they're teaching, what they're saying, how they are living. And make sure our teachers are in the pure love of God in what they're doing. That's what we seek to grow in together as a church. And frankly, we must demand it from our leaders and our teachers. We don't need a human club. We need a divine church growing in the divine love of God. This is Jude's first warning to false teachers. It's like what's on our worship, tainted love. What is sad is that we can get so used to tainted love, human love, that we don't even realize we're not drawing from the love of God anymore. That's the tragedy of our humanity. Therefore, we need the warnings that are there. All right, so that is the challenge, and notice how that's, he finishes later in his um, small letter in verse 21, to keep yourselves in the love of God. That's his appeal, contrasting the fake love of false teachers with that true love of God. All right, next one, and this one is deliberately meant to shock us as well, shepherds who feed themselves. That should jar our conscience, shouldn't it? Wait a minute, aren't shepherds most supposed to feed the sheep? What are they doing feeding themselves? And that's his point. But if you're not watching carefully, that's what false teachers will do. They'll feed themselves and people don't notice because they, oh, well, they, they're worthy of it because they teach. <laughs> they're amazing. Sure, feed yourself. We'll, we'll feed you. Don't feed yourself. We'll feed you. And there's a problem because that's not what shepherd's job description is meant to be. This is what we're looking for in a shepherd, one who loves people and wants to provide for them. Provide for them what? The pure word of God. It's the only food that will satisfy the soul. In fact, if you think about it, there's warnings in the scriptures from Jesus himself of um, those who seek positions. You notice that? If you look at Matthew 20, 25 and following in Luke 14, he talks about watch out for those who pursue positions. Because that's not his definition of greatness. If someone's sitting there going, why don't people notice me? Why don't people ask me to teach? I should teach. There's a problem. They're wanting to feed themselves. In fact, Jesus' definition of greatness is serving the least. I'm always challenged by those who are teaching in Sunday school like this morning. Oh, I miss out on the message or the, the worship this morning. They're actually pursuing greatness. Because greatness is actually serving the least. If we were truly serving God's view of greatness, there would be a list of Sunday school teachers there. Why can't I pursue that? That's what Jesus said is the greatest. And so those who pursue positions want to be noticed because they're teachers. Red light should go up. They're wanting to feed themselves. False teachers can appear impressive. Um, people enjoy listening to them and watching them. But that just feeds their ego to keep feeding themselves. So beware, church, when you are impressed by other people's impressiveness. They should only impress you with their ability to lead you to God's provision, the word of God. So shepherds are not there for themselves. 
Um, otherwise, actually, Jesus calls them in John 10, hired hands. They're doing it because they're paid, and it might be paid by ego. It might be paid by money. Another one theme that comes out in Jude is actual sexual favors comes out, the immorality that comes as a benefit from being a false teacher. They're the things that will be exposed as um, a sign of a false teacher. So are your teachers, I'm talking broadly, not just from the pulpit, are they feeding you solid food from the Word of God? Next slide, which should highlight uh, that picture there. That should be your meal. That's what we need to enjoy. Are you getting to know God through his word better by teaching, or is it just their theories of interpretation? We don't need interesting ideas. There's plenty of them out there. What we need is to be built up in the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. And it's what God wants us to know, um, not just what I want to know, what you want to know. What does God want us to know? Why has he preserved these 66 books for us? So I'm going to use a, a, a Hebrew word to help you remember this because it helps with my alliteration. But it does help you because it's a weird word and then it'll help you remember it. Lechem. Lechem is the Hebrew word for bread. Um, but it's also the reference to the Bible, which is the word of God. Um, that we shall not live by bread, lechem alone, physical bread, but the bread which is the words of God that proceeds out of um, God's mouth. Um, the famous verse from Deuteronomy 8. And Jesus quotes it in his um, attack by a false teacher, Satan himself. So think about that. First, first point we made was preserving the love of God. The second is preserving the bread of God, the word of God, the lechem of God. All right, so um, empty clouds is next. Metaphor number three. Now, I want you to think of clouds as Jude does, not in our modern context where you go, oh, that's a lovely looking cloud. I'm so glad I went for a walk today. That is spectacular. I'm going to take a selfie with that cloud. That's not what he's thinking. This is in a farming community. Every cloud they look at, are they saying, will this cloud bring rain, living water? Or will I just have a cloud that I get a selfie with? There's a big difference between a cloud that will bring what is needed for our soul, living water, and one that looks nice. So the key is living water that only God can bring. Now, C.S. Lewis, in his um, novel, The Silver Chair, Silver Chair, tells of a young girl called Jill who sees the only water available and wants to get a drink. Um, but there's a giant lion in the way. Um, if you don't know, C.S. Lewis portrays the Lord Jesus as a great lion called Aslan. So this is what he writes. Jill was desperately thirsty, uh, but the lion crouched between her and the refreshing stream. If you are thirsty, come and drink, says the lion. Uh, Will you promise not uh, uh, to do anything to me uh, if, if I come, said Jill. I make no promise, says the lion. Uh, do you eat girls, she said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step closer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. Then C.S. Lewis writes this. It was the worst thing she had ever had to do. But she went forward to the stream, knelt down, and began scooping up the water in her hand. It was the coldest, most refreshing water she had ever tasted. 
water. You cannot substitute living water of God for the teachings of men. Once you've tasted what God gives, this is what your soul thirsts for. This is what your soul needs. In fact, that's what Psalm 42 that instantly goes to mind. My soul thirsts for God, the living God, and that play on the living water and the living God. So I'm often going back in my mind to that time when I first felt the love of God and that living water that forgave me and refreshed my soul. I ask again like I did earlier, do you know that? Can you go back to that time when you first received his living water of forgiveness and refreshing? And of course, that becomes an ongoing pattern. It's amazing how you now live the same life but in a different living refreshment. It's the living refreshment of God. You know the same immense difficulties of life, but refreshing living water. When you have no strength, you instantly have a source to turn to. When you just need a spiritual lift, he graciously provides his living water time and time again. And then you've got these empty clouds who look like they're going to bring refreshment. But when you think about it, after you follow their teaching, you know what, I'm just still thirsty. It's not working as I thought and hoped it would. And he says, now you're getting under the surface from appearance to how to recognize a fake substitute of what God offers. They want you to be refreshed um, by their wisdom, their influence, their brilliance. But test them. Do they lead you to living water or are they empty clouds? Looks good, shiny, fluffy. Who cares? Will they provide living water for your soul? Do they lead you to the only source which is God himself. And I guess the key question here is, do you know the difference? Jude seems to be deliberately having a stark contrast, so we learn to train our eyes and our ears and our heart to say, I just sense something's off. There's something not right about what they're teaching and why they are teaching. So Jude will keep pulling out essentials of the faith um, to contrast with the emptiness of false teachers. So here's our alliteration for you. Hopefully it's going to stick in the mind, even though it's a bit weird in the words. Um, next slide. Um, recap. Love, lechem, and life. That's what you're looking for. Not this, the next slide. Warts, ego, and empty clouds. That's not what we want. Um, but the next slide. The love, the lechem of God and the life of God. Don't let any teacher swap these things for what they want to offer to you. All right, next, fruit list fruit trees. I love how obvious these metaphors are. If you don't get them, well, um, that's not the point. The idea is they stick in your mind so that when it happens, when you're being led, wait a minute, that's fruitless, that's, and, and you get it. So again, they have an appearance of spirituality, but no substance. Beautiful foliage, Good-looking tree, hang on a minute, isn't this meant to be a fruit tree? <laughs> Actually, he goes harder and says, if you look carefully, it's not only a, um, a fruitless tree, but it's actually been uprooted. It isn't even sourced in God, says Jude. An illustration. A young man walking along a dirt path comes across an old man bowed to the ground planting pecan trees. You might prefer pecan. He stops and asks the old man, uh, why would you plant pecan trees? 
They'll take so many years to mature that you'll never enjoy the pecans. And the old man responds, I plant these trees because all my life I've eaten pecans from trees I did not plant. That's a true teacher's motivation. God has given graciously to me through teachers that have fed me and given me the character of God, which is the fruit. Therefore, that's why I want to pour into others so that they will have the character of God through my true teaching. False teachers, not interested in that. They just want to say, do you like my leaves? I don't have any fruit for you, but you'll love looking at my leaves. Don't look at my root system. That's awkward for me. Look at my leaves and you will be impressed and we will both be happy in our shallowness together. That's our challenge. More than growing in God's word, actually producing God's character in our lives. The work of God should be evident in others because of true teachers. So never forget this. Good teaching will produce God's character in others. That's what the fruit is. False teachers lack this. They want to inspire people to themselves and their learning rather than to God and his grace shared generously. False teachers can have a lot of appearance, but they don't have the fruit. Lots of busyness in God's word, discussing things, analyzing things, the fine points of the verses and the passage, but producing the character of God, not so much. The fruit of the Spirit, really well lacking, awkwardly absent. So you get impressed by, oh, look, we're analyzing the Greek and the Hebrew and what that word means, but what's it doing? It's missing something. You get a nice-looking tree, and you'll become a nice-looking tree until someone says, isn't there meant to be some fruits? Next, wild waves. False teachers produce a lot of froth and foam. But you actually have to get past the dumper waves in any decent ocean to get to the deep places, the depths of the ocean. And that's his metaphor. Are you getting stuck in just the froth and the foam and getting dumped and tossed around in the word of God or actually going into the deep places with God? And there's a huge difference in character and, and, and even your, your approach to it. We need to grapple with the deep wisdom of God, but that's not the same as messy thinking of men. There's a difference there. So, for example, you know, we are meant to deal with the deep things like the sovereignty of God. But even when you come to the point of not fully understanding it, what you are left with was an anchoring in the deep sovereignty of God. That's different from just proof texting and finding verses to find an argument and therefore just getting caught up in a debate. One will anchor you in God, even if you don't fully understand it. The other will agitate and froth up and stir up agitation and trouble. Now you can start to see a big difference between false teachers and true teachers. God's wisdom will take you to the deep places. Again, Psalm 42, I love that phrase that says, deep calls unto deep, in verse 7 I think it is, in the depths of your waterfalls. God wants to take us out further. I think of the movie Castaway. You know, he's stuck on this island and he wants to get out into the ocean because that's the only way he can get out of this horrid island. It's not a romantic island at all. But what does he have to do to get out there? Get beyond the dumpers. So he has to set a sail that gets him, takes him beyond the dumpers and then finally he's in the depths of the ocean. A lot of us when they're young in the faith are like that. 
We get cost and turn around. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's an interesting idea. And the false teachers grab us. And then we go, we're sick of this. I just want the deep places of God. That's why I put my faith in him. And so you set up sail, move beyond all the controversy for controversy's sake, and get into the depth for depth's sake. Big difference and a great thing to pursue. We're nearly done. Wandering stars is our final one. Again, you've got to think a bit ancient Middle East um, um, rather than modern day. We like to stargaze because we want to see the shooting stars, the meteors. That's cool. That's fascinating. And that's true. But stars in the ancient world were the GPS of the day. And um, you would base your journey on the stars. You would understand the times and the seasons by the stars. Remember, the culture had flat roofs. What did you do all night? You sat on your false roof. Oh, look what season. Oh, look what stars are there. And that's what you would watch. But what about a wandering star to set your life to? Well, it's interesting to look at, but please do not base your life on it. It's useless. Wandering stars are unreliable guides. False teachers are unreliable guides. Um, I like this quote from Dan Wallace um, from Dallas Seal. He says, it's impossible to get direction from these religious meteors who blaze brightly for a moment, then fizzle into the darkness. That's a great picture of the difference. The contrast to the shiny short-term ministry and the value of long-term ministry. Like the apostles. <laughs> they went right to their end of their life, faithfully teaching. It wasn't a flash, I've got this great new idea I'm going to teach you. Actually, I'm moving on to something else now, or I'm disillusioned. And we should look for that in the church. Those who build with us, who faithfully pursue us. And we have great track record of that in our church. And thank God for them. But that's his difference from the short, sharp, shiny ministry, which is just a wandering star, to the faithful, long-term ministry and calling of God that doesn't run away when things go hard, that are there through the difficulties and the celebrations, the highs and the lows, they continue to show that the message of God works through all of these things. They don't quit when the going gets hard. They show God's character of perseverance and endurance. So we become people of perseverance and endurance. Don't just run away when things get hard. We become like our teachers, either wandering stars or faithful shepherds. So think about it. It's actually a great way to finish his um, metaphors because he's talking about the faith once and for all delivered. So what does he require as teachers? Faithfulness. <laughs> Makes sense, doesn't it? If you're going to be on the faith, then show yourself to be faithful. And um, so they connect them together. They actually go hand in hand. So let's bring them all together so that you can hopefully stick them in your mind and reflect on them as you need to. Six pictures that show the worst of humanity, the symbol of six, that contrast with God's spirituality that is there. God has given us six marks so we can recognize the heart of false teaching and what it actually robs us of. Um, God's love, God's lechem, God's life, character, wisdom, and direction. So there's a man in a hot air balloon who realized he was lost. So he reduces uh, his altitude and spots a woman below. He descends a bit more and shouts, Excuse me, can you help me? I promised a friend I would meet him an hour ago, but I don't know where I am. 
So the woman below replies, you're in a hot air balloon, hovering approximately 30 feet above the ground. You're between 40 and 41 degrees north latitude and between 59 and 60 degrees west latitude. You must be an engineer, said the balloonist. I am, replied the woman. How did you know? Well, everything you told me is technically correct, but I've no idea what to make of your information, and the fact is I'm still lost. Frankly, you've not been much help at all. If anything, you've delayed my trip. The woman below responds, you must be a false teacher. I am, said the balloonist, but how did you know? Well, said the woman... You don't know where you are or where you're going. You have risen to where you are due to a large amount of hot air. You made a promise which you've no idea how to keep. You expect people beneath you to solve your problems. The fact is you're in exactly the same position you were in before we met and now somehow it's my fault. We need the accurate truth-telling wisdom of God on the ground like the woman. Even if it takes some time to understand the precision of its message, it alone will anchor us and tell us who we really are and where we need to be going. We also need to recognize false teachers for who they are, and that's exactly what Jude has done for us, like the woman on the ground, and he calls them out. They are warts at our love feasts, self-feeding shepherds, empty clouds, fruitless fruit trees, wild waves, and wandering stars. By exposing them, Jude calls us to keep ourselves in the beautiful grace of God. He wants us to be jealous, so jealous that you won't let anyone take these things from you. And you think how precious they are. How precious are they to you? Honestly, think about that in your heart. How much do you treasure the love of God that you will not let anyone try and taint that with a selfish love? His truth, his bread, his life, his character, his wisdom. How jealous are we as a church to protect these things so that no one will snatch them out of our hands or taint them even a little bit? That's what we must protect as a church. First of all, you need to make sure you're part of the faith once and for all delivered. You might be someone sitting here and go, actually, I don't know I'm part of the faith. Have you tasted of God's living water of forgiveness once and for all for your sin? Turn away from all the false religions, false ideas of spirituality and embrace the one true God. That's the first invitation for you. You need to pray directly to God, to the Lord Jesus, and receive his forgiveness for sins and then turn your life to following him and trusting him. Make sure you do that today. And if you need to talk to me or someone you know who is a genuine Christian, um, to help them to make sure you pray. You must ask that of God directly. Once you are part of the faith, then you must strive for the divine, not the human. The divine love of God, nothing else will do. God's love, not human love. God's provision, For all our needs. God's life that renews us day in, day out, even while the body wastes away. And God's character, wisdom, and direction. So as Jude quotes as he uh, finishes his, that's where I want to end too. In those verses, it reminds us that God is able to keep us from stumbling. Thank God for that. He will present you faultless. He alone is wise and glorious and powerful. And then Jude, the preacher, 
the Jewish preacher finishes with a Hebrew word that actually finishes all our prayers. Amen. Pray with me. Thank you, Lord, for such vivid images that are kind of fun to think about and explore and tease out, but also a reminder that they speak to something very serious for us. Um, I think most of us are fairly conscious how weak we are as humans, and we can be like Peter who says, I will never forsake you, God, and then find out we just have. Lord, help us to love your love, your life, your bread, your wisdom so dearly that we will not be distracted by the human, human and, the, and the depraved. I pray for us as a church, protect us from false teachers. And Lord, I pray for us teachers too, that you'll protect us from pride, from getting caught up in our own wisdom and our own understanding. May we pursue your greatness that is feeding the least, loving the least, the lowest positions, and letting you honour in your own way and in your time. Lastly, I do want to pray sincerely for any here who do not know you. May this be their day of salvation. Will you give them the courage to speak to someone after service that can help them pray and receive your once and for all forgiveness and join us in the once and for all faith that has a beautiful present and a fantastic ending. In Jesus' name, we close. Amen.